on today's episode of Diving In. Just not really thinking of like the confines of genres and not thinking about like who would I be able to tour with, just like really creating a sound that felt like me. And I will be honest, the number one artist for me on Spotify was myself. I- yes, <laughs> we love to hear yes. it. Welcome to Diving In, a podcast aiming to explore the deeper themes behind the entertainment and content creation industries. I'm Leslie Mosier. And I'm Marissa Mullen. Let's dive in. We are so excited to welcome today's guest. You might know Cassidy Pope from her days in the band Hey Monday from winning season three of The Voice and being a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter who has just dominated the country world here in Nashville, Tennessee. So everybody welcome Cassidy to Diving In. Thank you. That was <laughs> yeah. quite the intro. My goodness. You have quite the uh, the accolades to talk about. Oh. So stop up. Well, welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. So Leslie, you and Cassidy know each other, right? From the Nashville scene. How did you guys first meet? Oh, I'm trying to think of the first, first time we met. Maybe at like an award show or something. I think it probably was because I've I've known Rob, your mm-hmm. hubs, for a while since he was in, um, is in We Are the In Crowd. We toured with them a few times. And then I think I met, I might have met you for the first time at the CMAs, I want to say, maybe 2013. Oh my gosh. The, yeah. My first CMAs. That's crazy. Yeah. We've been like circling around each other and like we've had some cute moments seeing each other at like a children's hospital and like, yes. you know, just Nashville things, but um, have gotten to know you better recently. So that's been fun. Yeah. That's been nice. And just kind of connecting through conversations of mental health and just our pups and the joy they bring into our lives and all of that. So that's been nice. <laughs> So on diving in how this works, we start kind of at surface level and then we dive deeper into more personal questions. Um, You know, we just want to try to open up the floor to talk about pretty much anything. Um, A lot of the times with interviews, you find that you kind of say the same thing every time, especially if you're going through like a press interview talking about an album or something like that. It's like you have your spiel and you just stick with it and you just don't go off the script. So with this, what we want to do is kind of open it up so that we can talk about deeper feelings, deeper emotions. Um, Being exposed to a wide audience, you have a lot of vulnerability themes that come up, imposter syndrome, comparison. Um, So we kind of wanted to shine light on what it's like to be in the spotlight and how that kind of affects, you know, all aspects of your life and career and, you know, personal experiences. So we start surface level, we dive in. Um, So to start on the surface, Leslie, you want to take it away? First and foremost, I obviously am obsessed with dogs. And so please (laughs) tell us about your dog, Cuppy, and Cuppy's brother, River. Yeah. Cuppy is five years old. He's a French bulldog. Um, I got him, gosh, I mean, I guess it's like four and a half years ago now. And he's just been such uh, he's been such a trooper because um, he's been through a lot of different phases. I I went through a breakup um, when I really first got him about like five months in where 
we I relocated and took him with me and he was kind of splitting his time for a minute between me and my ex. And then eventually that stopped and I just got him full time, um, moved him into a new house uh, <laughs> with me and then um, eventually into another new house, which is where I am now with my boyfriend, Sam. So he's he's just like good wherever like he that's what I love about him. He's just really easygoing. And as long as he I'm there and as long as he has a place to sleep and eat, uh, he's happy. Um, and then when my boyfriend and I started dating about four years ago, um, I met his dog, River, who is a whippet, and he is precious. I have never really spent any t- – I've never met a whippet in my life. What What um, is a whippet? It's like a smaller greyhound. He's, oh, he's cute. Very, he's very pointy. So he's Yeah, he's really sweet and chill, and he's like the cuddliest dog I've ever met, and he is obsessed with Cuppy. Like he will – the dynamic is really cute because Cuppy's small and grumpy and kind of dense and river is very lovely and very british and will like and he's long and and light and he'll just like plop on top of cuppy and cuddle with cuppy and cuppy just kind of deals with it so that's so cute the dynamic is pretty cute it's pretty good also funny story when we brought doug over to your place for like a (laughs) pup date I have never seen Doug so obsessed with another dog as he was with River. We were like, we couldn't yeah. keep Doug off of River. Like Doug was like fully just obsessed. I mean, there might be like a relationship going on, but you know, won't <laughs> I think make so. that public. But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they'll make their an- Instagram official sometime. Yeah, yeah, at some point, you know. But I mean, that's amazing. I feel like you and I have very similar bonds with um, our dogs. Like Doug is a very similar thing, has been with me through many phases of my life. You know, I got him in college and moved around and, you know, different different things. And he's always been like my constant. So I can totally relate to that and how just special they are. Yeah. I mean, and like what the hell would we have done without them in quarantine last year? Like I don't even know. It would have been so much worse and more boring (laughs) and I mean there were times where we just would sit and watch them like play and just go crazy on each other and it was like you know half hour of entertainment we're like okay that was good now what (laughs) and then they forced you to go outside too, like go on a walk because you have to walk your dog that's like my biggest problem in COVID I was just like well I'm in New York in my apartment and I guess I'll go walk myself to the corner store I don't know (laughs) yeah that's wow that must have been a doozy yeah the dogs definitely make me uh get outside more because I I definitely like will neglect my needs as far as like uh, wellness and I'll go I because when I take them on walks I'm like this makes me feel good why don't I just do this you know Mm -hmm. so yeah and another thing that makes us feel good is food to transition (laughs) so (laughs) So Leslie, as we know, runs Doug the Pug and is the proud owner of Doug the Pug, spreading positivity through dogs. And I'm the founder of That Cheese Plate, which spreads positivity through cheese and charcuterie boards. So my question for you is, what is your favorite cheese, if you have Mm. one? And what is something that you've cooked lately, if you're into cooking, that made you excited? Well, um... I don't know if you knew this about me, but I'm obsessed with cheese. So oh, I'm, amazing. I just, I'm a fan of what you do. Um, and I think my favorite cheese is, pro- oh, so it's this, 
I forget what the brand is, but it's Merlot cheese. Oh, um, is it um, the Bellavitano Satori? Yes. 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 So I always, good. I, I mean, I can't not buy it when I'm in a store. I'm like, well, they have it in stock. I should buy it. Um, and the thing that I'm excited about that I made recently, I well, I really love making um, creamy Tuscan chicken. It's one of my favorite dishes, and it's just creamy, obviously. Um, but it has tomatoes, <laughs> uh, tomatoes and spinach and um, heavy whipping cream, Parmesan, and just juicy, delicious uh, chicken breasts. Yeah. So decadent. Sounds amazing. Well, we would love to hear your story. I mean, I know that's something that, you know, I'm sure you've shared in a lot of interviews, but I would I would just want to hear, like, where are you from? You know, what was your childhood like? When did all of this music come into your life? Like, just what's your yeah. story? Well, I, I grew up around – I mean, my family all loves music. Nobody was really – musically inclined as far as I know I did a medium session where someone came through and was like saying that she was musical uh, on my my mom's side who had never I never met her so that was interesting but uh, as far as I remember nobody was actually pursuing music other than my sister and she's three years older than I am she was taking voice lessons from as long as I can remember and um, eventually she which I was never interested in I mean at this point, I was like three or four, but she needed to get her adenoids removed. So the voice coach that was teaching her was like, well, I'll have a slot available if you want to try it um, while she's out, you know, recovering. And I tried it. Um, I wasn't great at first. I got I was sort of very I was really, really um, hard on myself as a kid. I sort of still am when I like try new things for the first time. And I'm like, I don't get it right away. I get kind of frustrated. I'm better at not throwing tantrums now. But when I was a kid, (laughs) I would throw a tantrum and be like, I don't want to do it. Uh, And then I just stuck with it and eventually just was hooked. Um, So from four years old, I I was taking voice lessons, started singing around West Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm from. There were some great opportunities like little fairs and festivals and Radio Disney did a lot of stuff there and – did little contests here and there. Won South Florida Idol one time when I was like 13. Yes. Love <laughs> Not that. a lot of people know that. I won a Dodge Neon. <laughs> it was great. Wait. That, that was my first car, a bright blue Dodge Neon. Really? Oh, I had a bright red. I got a bright red one. That's amazing. I mean, I didn't I was too young to um be able to drive it, so I gave it to my mom. Wait, so you won a car when you were 13? I won a car when I was 13 and I couldn't drive it. So it's kind of useless. Sorry, I'm moving this around. That's going Um, in the show notes. Cassidy Pope won a car when she was 13. (laughs) Yep, couldn't use it. Um, So yeah, I I did all that and was singing around town. And then eventually I got some managers who knew about this music conference in Atlanta called the Atlantis Music Conference. And um, I actually ended up going twice, one when I was like 14 and I ended up signing a development deal with Drive Through Records. Um, mm. And it was like a year of writing and sending demos and them being like, we don't like this. We don't like this. And so eventually I was like, classic. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was like, well, can I leave now? This wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. Um, so they let me go and then went again to the same conference um, like two years later 
with my band that I formed called Blake, which is my middle name. And uh, it was just like a few members from locally that some that I knew, some that my managers kind of put together. And we went to the music conference and got some attention from a Columbia A&R who ended up coming to Florida to see a bunch of shows, um, decided he wanted to fly us to New York City to showcase for Columbia, which like doesn't happen anymore. So that was kind of cool to be a part of that old way of doing things. Um, now it's like TikTok, you know, you discover mm-hmm. them on TikTok and sign them. <laughs> um, so we were in New York City and we showcased. They loved it, but they were like, there's a few members that don't really fit. And they were the members that the managers at the time kind of threw on me last minute and were like, just put them in the band. And, you know, and so I was like, yeah, I don't really like those guys. So let's kick them out. And then <laughs> <laughs> didn't go well. But um, and then I just got to put together the band that like my guitar player, Mike, and I wanted to from the first place um, with these guys that we knew from other bands locally. And we formed Hey Monday. Um, and we ended up touring with bands like Fall Out Boy and We The Kings and Metro Station and All Time Low and just like touring the world for really not that long, like three or f- maybe three three and a half years. It was a very short lived thing. Um, and it was just sort of like at one point it was just like, we're not growing anymore. We're not getting any more tours or, or we left the label cause we lost our A&R. He left and they got a new president at Columbia, all that stuff. So we had no label anymore. And I was like, I, I think I'm just going to pursue a solo career now. I'm at that point I was 21 and I just felt it in my gut that I needed to do something different. And so I, picked up and and packed my uh it wasn't the Dodge Neon I got a Nissan Versa and I uh packed that up and my mom and I drove from West Palm Beach Florida to LA and I uh lived in LA for about I want to say a year before the voice um contacted me um because I guess they scout a lot of their Mm. people and uh and they at that point I had like done an acoustic solo tour that didn't do well. And I was just struggling. I was pretty broke. And my friend Allie, who's a big songwriter now fronted a lot of my rent. So I was like, yeah, I should probably just do it and see what happens. Uh, and then fast forward, I won, which was cool. Season three. Uh, they're on like season a thousand now. I don't even know, (laughs) but, um, that was like nine years ago, which is crazy. Um, wow, really? That was nine years ago? Wait. Yeah. Wait. 20, what was it? 2012. Yeah. Wow. How crazy is that? I remember <laughs> voting for you. Oh, thank you. Like, <laughs> Before we get into your country career, I just want to kind of go back and reflect on this insane kind of chapter that you had in the pop punk scene like both Leslie and I grew up in the same scene um I used to work I interned for fearless records I was in the music industry way before cheese that's like that was my kind of passion before (laughs) cheese plating I fell into cheese it like wasn't always a thing so like I grew up going to warp tour I knew hey Monday like loved you guys are awesome it's just so it's crazy that it was only that short period of time because at the time you guys blew up so quickly were you a fan of pop punk before you entered the scene or was it because of like drive through records and Columbia kind of pushing you into this world? 
it was pretty crazy. I um, really the guy, the person who introduced me to the scene was my boyfriend in high school. I was 15 dating this 18 year old uh, senior and um, who went to a different school and everything. And he was on the weekends. He'd be like, let's go to uh, raise old town down old downtown blues in West Palm Beach. I was like, what is that? And <laughs> and it was just like the coolest little dive venue and and that's kind of that was my introduction to the pop punk scene was like the local scene in West Palm Beach and all these bands and all the same bands that would play every weekend the same set lists and but everybody kept coming and and um and then eventually you know like bigger bands would come through like Hello Goodbye and the Rocket yes. Summer and Paramore <laughs> and um wow. and to this little tiny you know club that we loved so much so I that was really like 15 years old. I 13 was when I started to like play with like a live band at these little festivals and fairs and stuff in in West Palm Beach, but like 15 years old was when I really saw what being in a band meant and mm-hmm. um and so yeah, from then on it was like I uh, that that was what I wanted to do. You know, I sang yeah. country when I was really little and I loved singing country music. And then eventually when I became a teenager going to rock shows, that was when I was yeah. like, I converted to pop right. I feel like we could all all connect on that. There was such a community back then in that scene. Like similarly to me, I grew up in Connecticut. So like, you know, middle of nowhere, but there was a teen center called Trackside. I'm not sure if you ever played there with Hey Monday, but um, it was called Trackside know. Teen Center. And a friend of mine started booking bands that played there and Paramore played there, like All Time Low, all of those bands. And it was this tiny teen center that held like maybe 200 people. And that's where we went every weekend because it was just like the fun thing to do. And I think all of us now, as we're elder emos, it's like you meet someone (laughs) who like, (laughs) as you meet someone who was in that scene, you feel like a bond with them because we all kind of like went through similar life experiences and we all like cried to the same like Constantine I don't know but Ah, yes (laughs) I I just feel like it's it's really uh it was such a community and that's amazing that you found that and then broke into it as being you know on stage at Warp Tour and touring with all these bands and doing that that's so fun it was nuts it was nuts I mean I I I do look back and and see how lucky I was and we were as a band to to um kind of fast track to that level. Like we, I I sang a lot locally. Um, It's, I've sang on stage since I was seven, I think was the first time I sang on stage. And so it's not like I haven't cut my teeth, you know, with performing um, like locally, but I think as a band, it was just really unusual. You know, we didn't, we, our first, I think our first show as Hey Monday we played was on tour, like with the cab and, um, a rocket to the moon. And that was like our first show, actually, like Blake played a bunch of local shows, but it wasn't the configuration of Hey Monday. So I think that was also part of our demise because we didn't have that grassroots start um, fans that have stuck with us for years and years. And finally, we got a record deal. You know, it was like, who mm-hmm. is this band? And all of a sudden they're on tour with Fall Out Boy, like worldwide. So mm-hmm. Uh, and I and now, you know, being an independent artist, having been through so many different phases and record deals and stuff, I see that now and I'm, I just see how rare that is. And it was just a snapshot in time that I don't think will ever happen again, you know. A common theme between Marissa and I and one of the reasons we've connected so well together is just 
how, you know, we both had these jobs and we had to follow our gut and be like, all right, I'm going to do something that is so crazy and like everyone thinks is insane. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like quitting my job to manage a dog and quitting her job to do cheese. But what was it like at that age to, you know, know in your gut that, hey, Monday, like that that chapter was coming to a close and just trust that you wanted something different for yourself? Was it was it really difficult or was it something that you just like kind of didn't even look back? You're like, all right, I'm, I'm going forward. Yeah, I, I don't think I – I think it was a little bit of both because I've always had a little bit of uncertainty if I made the right choice. And definitely once I got to L.A. and I was struggling, I had many – a breakdown of like, did I make the wrong decision? But there was also some inner band turmoil. You know, we were like kids and Mike and I dated when we first started and then we broke up during being a band and I was the only one signed. And I think the guys always had a little bit of resentment about that. And, you know, it just, we had a lot of like weird, just, we were kids on the road and pissing each other off. And I was a basket case and but this was before therapy. So (laughs) had a lot of people in my ear about you should go solo, you should go solo. And, um, and I never listened. And then when I decided to, it was like too late and people were sort of already checked out, but there were a lot of reasons, you know, it wasn't just like, we weren't really succeeding anymore. It was also just like not great for my mental health. And Mm -hmm. I love, I love the guys and we still keep in touch and we're adults now. So it's, it's much nicer to hang and, you know, it's just a better scenario. But like, I think that kept me going forward was like, I just wasn't really happy anymore in that situation. You're 15 when you started the band? 16? I was 15 in Blake. And then I think it was like 17 when Hey Monday was formed. Yeah. Wow. Being one of the only female front women, like how did you kind of navigate that? Um, okay. So this was before... I'm going to preface this. This was before therapy, before understanding feminism and understanding lifting other women up. I will be 100% honest, being the only girl in a band on those tours, I felt like that was like awesome. I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm the only girl. I'm awesome. Now I'm like, why the fuck am I the only girl on this tour? This is bullshit. This is awful. This is like this is a sexist uh, system and all this stuff. I'm like way more aware of it now. As a kid, I was like, yeah, I'm awesome, which is not cool. But I, you know, I did have a a little bit of like a power dynamic situation happen on like one of the first tours I did. And it was definitely like a toxic situation that I found myself in. Um, And you know, it was very private and didn't tell anybody about it. And um, I don't really tell anybody about it still. But like, that was the only thing that really happened that in the moment, I didn't think about it in that way. And now as an adult, I was like, yeah, somebody, a superior almost Mm -hmm. definitely was inappropriate. Um, And it's weird. Yeah. Like when you're in the moment, again, I was like, this is awesome. I feel special. I feel like I'm in on a secret. And now as an adult, I realize that it was inappropriate. But 
Um, other than that, I didn't, I didn't have any, any problems. Um, I mean, I hooked up with people on tour cause again, I was a basket case running around, not knowing how to handle, uh, being on a bus and being on tour with cute boys and stuff. I mean, it was just like ridiculous really. Um, but yeah, it was fun. And, and I, and I grew, grew up so fast. I think that was the thing that was both good and bad. Like, I would have liked to have hold, held on to my innocence a little longer, I think. Um, I mm. went to an all I went to a Catholic school from pre-K three to eighth grade, and then I went oh, wow. into a public school in high school. Um, then I took my senior year online. So I didn't really have a lot of time to like um get acclimated to the the world out there until I went on tour. And then it was just like everything in my fingertips all of a sudden. I'm old enough to drink in Japan and I, you know, I'm flying in these international flights business class with like endless booze and food and movies. And so I was thrust into this, these, this big old world very quickly and early and made some weird decisions. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we we talked about that similarly with um Megan Trainer with our interview with her because she got thrust into the spotlight so quickly too and it was almost like overnight and when you're in those situations it's so much to comprehend and so much to take in. It's almost like a pixie stick, you know, it's a sugar rush. Yeah. And then it seems like when that ended you were in LA and you were just like, "Okay, now what?" And that must yeah. be such a a hard fall from not being able to gently ease into that world and then gently ease out it's like okay now you're here what's going on you know yeah yeah and and you know and everybody nobody at that time it didn't feel like anybody was ready to talk about mental health and it didn't feel like there was any there were no um resources and tools that like labels were giving their artists and managers were telling their artists to do there wasn't any like there wasn't any, I, I feel like every tour should have somebody come out and just be on call ready. Cause like being an artist on tour is hard enough, but like for these teenage kids in these bands going on tour, I'm like, there needs to be a budget on a tour for a counselor or something just on call. So like, yeah, when back in the day, there wasn't any of that and it didn't feel cool or, um, I don't know. It just didn't. F- I I already felt a little too ordinary to be in the pop punk world. I was this Florida girl with a tan who didn't do drugs. I drank, but barely, and I just felt a little bit like prude to be in a pop punk band. So I didn't want to go around and tell people like my daddy issues and my problems and being you know sad or whatever. So I just uh, kept it all inside, and that mm-hmm. eventually came to a head like long time later, but it Mm -hmm. it did eventually. I think it's so powerful to be able to look at our younger selves and be like, you know, we didn't have the tools that we have now to make the decisions that we could now. Um, Similarly, Mm -hmm. I can, I can look back at, you know, 18 year old me fresh in college and I'm like, what was I doing? Like, that's not me. (laughs) And, you know, to go back and think like all those people that met me back then, like they don't know who I really am. But I think, you know, with mental health 
focusing on that and therapy, there's a lot of beauty in being able to look at those situations and being like, I did the best that I can. And like those scenarios that I was in, even though I would have handled them differently now, like they are a part of me and they got me to where I am. And like they kind of fast tracked us to be able to be like, all right, I got to put my mental health first because like that part of myself, that's not going to be who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and also just, I think it does give you, like you said, like those decisions, I, some of them I would have definitely chosen differently had I known um, what I know now, but it kind of gives, it gives you perspective. Cause when you, when you get the help you need and you become not even mentally healthy, I think, I think we are, but like, I think we have, obviously we're never done um, (laughs) (laughs) progressing and growing, but like, I have a perspective now of what bad decisions are or what ill-informed decisions are and what decisions are as a healthy person. And, you know, being with my boyfriend now who is seeing this version of me and telling him about decisions I've made in the past, he's like, I can't even imagine you doing that. Like, I was like, yeah, I wouldn't. Like, that's not me Mm -hmm. anymore. But this, I'm just telling you my story. I think it's important that you know. And, uh, you know, it. Oh, hi, Doug. He's, he's <laughs> saying hello. There's hello. a dog barking outside. Oh. You be quiet, Dougie. <laughs> um, so when I saw you play live a few weeks ago, this kind of ties into like what we're talking about right right now. Um, you played a song called No Now. And there what I hadn't heard – like I had listened to your record a bunch, but like I hadn't made it to that song for some reason. And like I don't know if you saw me, but I was like crying in the crowd. Oh, I'm I, sorry. No, no. It's, it was so raw and real and it related me to – you know, a power situation when I was young and, you know, that past version of me. And it just, um, I don't know, it just, it was a very powerful thing to watch you um, turn a moment into just something that's just like punch in the gut, like I'm taking my power back. Mm. Um, And I think that's all we can do for our younger selves is to just be like, I've got you. Like you're, you, you know, you went through this. It was so bad. You didn't deserve this, but like, I've got you now. Yeah. And, and it's like, I think the thing I'm most proud of, of that song is a, I wrote it by myself, which I don't do often because it's hard to start and finish a song by yourself. Um, yeah. Especially when you're used to writing with other people. <laughs> um, but also just the human aspect of like the hindsight thing. It's like, okay, I, I, if I knew now, wait, if I, <laughs> I'm like, now I'm thinking of the song. If I knew now, like back then what I know now, sorry, there we go. Um, I would probably have made a different decision because like I think a lot of us, we feel this pressure of like, no, but it got you to where you are. And while that's true, there's there still can be a part of you like, yeah, but that really sucked. And I like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would want to go through that again. And yes, I love where I am now, but there is a part of you that's always like, I don't know, I, I think I would probably just roll the dice and not do that and see where I end up because that sucked so bad, you know? <laughs> Did you know that companies can claim their beef is grass-fed as long as it was fed grass at some point in its life? Did you also know that meat can be marketed American-made as long as it was packaged in America? I'm just learning all of this, and it's pretty crazy. But luckily, Paleo Valley grass-fed beef sticks are the real deal. 
They're sourced from 100% grass-fed and finished cows that are never fed grains or harmful antibiotics, and they come from small family-owned farms right here in the USA. Paleo Valley beef sticks use old-world methods of fermentation, similar to charcuterie, which gives the beef sticks a long shelf life without harmful acids and chemicals. They're also free of hydrogenated oils, making it one of the healthiest meal snacks on the market. I need to actually try to make a charcuterie board with these beef sticks because they are that good. I've been snacking on these during the day when I need a little protein boost and love all of the flavors. I also love that they use real organic spices to flavor their beef sticks versus conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or natural flavors often made from GMO corn. To check out Paleo Valley beef sticks, go to paleovalley.com slash diving in and get 15% off your first order on us. That's paleovalley.com slash diving in. Let us know what you think. So after Hey Monday, you are in LA, you get this call from The Voice. And what was that process like being on The Voice? Because I have heard many stories about The Voice, um, but I'm curious to hear first person. Did you feel like you had a lot of creative control there? Was it, um, I mean, I'm sure the whole thing was so exciting. Like this is really what like brought you into the proper mainstream, quote unquote, you know, winning The Voice. So it was almost like for you, probably a brand new chapter of this like fame in a sense. Yeah, I, I, it was like, (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it. I was like, what am I doing? Cause I, you know, going from a band touring in a van, then a bus and whatever, you just like, it's not glamorous. It's not anything. And, um, going into a live television show that's like broadcast to millions to try and win. It was so weird to me. It wasn't, natural feeling um I think I think I actually was like this is a name drop but I was on Ben Fold's podcast recently and he was like saying he's like you and I are similar you know uh competitive um when there's a carrot dangling in front of you you work harder like the carrot for you was winning the voice and I never thought of myself as competitive but I was like oh my god you're right like competitive doesn't always have to be negative and I always thought Mm -hmm. it was Um, So I definitely am, I guess, in a way, but I just wasn't looking around and thinking I need to beat these people. I was thinking that like, I just need to do better every week. And if I don't win, then that just means like, I didn't, I'm not as good as the other people, which is fine. Um, Which I wasn't. I think I won because people related to me. I definitely didn't have the best voice because some of those people were just incredibly talented singers, but it was Um, I definitely felt like I had creative freedom. Um, at the beginning of the show, you write down all the, all of the, um, covers that you would want to do throughout the show and the coach that you choose or that chooses you, um, looks through that and they help you kind of decide weekly picking from your decisions, um, what to do next. And then the band, uh, are always down to, they're amazing. They're so talented and they're always down to mess with the arrangements. So I had a lot of fun doing that. That was like my favorite part was taking songs and making them my own. Um, and also the PAs on that show were, you know, going back to like having somebody on call that was there for somebody, for you as an artist, they did that so well. And there were people always ready to like, give you a pep talk. I had so many moments where I was just like breaking down. Like, I can't do this. This is really hard and scary. And just people just pep talking you, making you feel okay. Even the voice coaches that they hired were so kind and not like borderline like therapists as well. So Mm. it was a great experience. I just, 
I got so nervous every week. I was like getting sick a lot. Um, not like throat sick, but like stomach sick, like throwing up all the time because of oh just gosh. the nerves. Um, and that part was hard. But other than that, they treated us our artists really well. They called us artists, not contestants. And just those little, little gestures were great. Um, being in the Marriott, uh, in Burbank for two months, two or three months wasn't great, but oh my gosh, it, I had my own room, so that was good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a very bizarre experience, but awesome. Yeah, and then after you won, what did that feel like? Were you like, wow, I hit this point? Now what? Because I feel like we talk about this a lot on the podcast too. It's like we set goals for ourselves, but then once we hit them, then it's like, okay, I'm here now. So. What's yeah. <laughs> well, it's so weird because I don't think people are allowed to like the label and management and stuff that you win after the show. I don't think they're allowed to talk to you during the show because I won and I was like, how have I not heard from anybody? Like, I need to get to work. Like, this is crazy. But I, I think that's all part of the like the process because they don't want to choose favorites or what they don't know the outcome yet. So they can't really. Um so it was it was surreal. I uh, I remember I had a UTI on the finale. No. So oh. it was awful. Um, I was like doing costume changes left, right, and center, doing all these like collaborations, and in between, just like peeing in a trash can backstage. It was just like god awful. Uh, oh, no. And then like I won, which was amazing and surreal and crazy. My mom almost slipped coming up on stage on the confetti that was like streaming down. Uh, I remember that moment vividly. Um, and then, you know, there's an after party, which is great. But, you know, I had an U- a UTI and I had to fly out on a like a very early flight at like 5 a.m. to go to New York City from L.A. to do a bunch of uh, TV shows. And and mm-hmm. I remember just like, it was such a blur. I feel like I was, I was operating on like 20% of my full potential <laughs> and then just being recognized. Like I hadn't, you know, you're sequestered really on the voice. So when you get finally get out and people are recognizing you and being like, your story resonated with me and I've, you know, I voted for you so much and people, I, I remember being approached by people in a way that was very much like they, they knew me and I'd never really experienced that before. It was, it, I've always put out like, a, I feel a pretty authentic, like relatable thing. I don't, you know, I don't really dress it up too much, but I've never been approached in that way. And, and so when I started to, to be, I was like, oh, people are like, people know who I am in a m- intimate way that I'm not used to. And it was, cool but it was also like oh gosh like they really know a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. there was a okay I don't even remember which trash magazine came out with this but it was like they got in touch with my dad about our estranged relationship and had an oh, article God. about oh, like no me lying about it and oh my god I was like what is ha- is this a dream like is this a night like what is happening um see the so real like, the yeah. reality that comes with fame <laughs> yeah yeah and really... I was I was like I'm not famous what what is this and then I and then I just kind of and then I had to kind of like slowly accept like I guess I am it was so weird to think about mm. you know because it wasn't a gra I didn't feel like a gradual thing it was like boom I'm out in the world and people know who I am 
So it was interesting. Yeah, it's so trippy. It's a very yeah. violating, violating feeling too for people to like get into your personal relationships like that. That must have been a big shock to the system after, you know, being in the pop punk scene and then suddenly it's like you're in tabloids. <laughs> yeah, it was bizarre. I mean, I I remember like I did not want to talk about my relationship with my dad on the show and um and I think I got to a certain point where I was so exhausted and so just I had nothing else to give them and I remember the producers being like, "Hey, if you have anything about your story that you haven't said yet, it's it's probably time that you do because there's not much you're giving us right now." And I was like, "Fine." And I opened up about it and while I am proud that I shared that part of my story, it it also kind of gave everybody this opening to to investigate and to look into it and like to get in touch with my dad and ask him questions. And it was just a, you know, while I was like, that sucks. Like, I wish they didn't do that. I also know that I did give people an opening. And uh, when you open up to the public about personal things, you know, there will be people to push back and who make assumptions and create drama where there isn't any. And so I, what I didn't, I wasn't prepared for it, but I also like looking back, I'm like, okay, you know, you could have just kept that to yourself, but you decided to open up about it. And with that comes some pushback. Man. So you moved to the country industry after The yeah. Voice. What I would love to hear, because obviously you've, you're very successful in this genre and your music is amazing and all of that stuff, but what is it like to be in this genre? I mean, I live in Nashville. I'm very familiar with, you know, the workings of the country industry when it comes to women. Yeah. And you are very outspoken and like an ally with other women like hey we deserve more radio play and this isn't fair that there's a, a list of the top 10 most played artists and they're all male um so what is it like to you know use your platform to speak out on things like that and social justice and be getting you know hate on twitter like how how was it moving from you know, the pop punk scene where it's, you know, pretty liberal. Everyone's like all about equal rights and all that stuff. And then you move into the country world where it's like they've been expecting women for so many years to just like just sing, shut up and sing. And you're like, I'm yeah. not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I honestly, it took me a long time to get there. Um, and when I first came to town, I was just like, play nice in the sandbox. I don't. I just want to do well. Um, I don't want to mess this up. And and to be honest, I kind of had, I I, I kind of had my head in the clouds. I wasn't really looking at the structure, and I I wasn't you know learning about social justice and um, systemic racism and any of that. It wasn't on my radar, and it was like <laughs> I was so I don't know. I was just so infatuated with myself. And it's and my self success that I just really wasn't seeing anything else and and also just like the industry here, I think it's it's gotten a little better. But I think I mean the industry anywhere, I guess maybe. But again, when you're the only girl in certain situations, it's almost like they reward you for being the only female in in the 
category or on the tour or whatever. And it's like, you're the only woman here because you're special and you deserve it. And there's something cool about you that other women don't have. And it's fed to you in that way of like, when you're the only woman, that's a good thing. And so for a long time, I, I ate that shit up and I was like, yeah, cool, cool. And I think it wasn't until I started to feel the effects of, I think it was like my second single off of my first record here, felt the effects of just the unfairness at country radio and the unfairness with like awards and uh, nominations and touring. And I was, I, I just sort of like hit me one day. I was like, doing decent on the chart. I knew it would take a while for the single to break, but it wasn't going as fast as FGL and it wasn't going as fast as, you know, the band Perry or whatever. And, uh, I, I, the single got pulled and I was really just upset about that. And I just was like, but it wasn't, I wasn't failing. So I don't understand why that happened. And then I just, and then it got to the point where, I was kind of shelved for a few years and that was when I really started to um, lean on some other female artists and talk about it. And it was a tough time, but it was good to like kind of gauge where everybody else was at and what everybody else was feeling. And we all, I think at different times in our careers leaned on each other and realized, okay, we're all in the same boat. Like we're struggling here. And it wasn't, until I went independent um, and I started to get more opportunities with other women. Um, Maren Morris took me on tour and then I did the CMT Next Women of Country tour and took that overseas for the first time that I realized the power numbers. And I was like, all right, well, I'm committed to this movement and to, um, you know, speak out against what I think is super unfair and political and gross and um and then you know going into the the conversations and the of the like social injustice and all of that wasn't until last year and I do feel I'm I'm very late to the the game and I'm very um aware of that and I can look at the surroundings that I grew up in and the surroundings I've had for the past you know eight or nine years being in this town and see that you know, you kind of do have to go out of your way to do the work because this environment is not conducive to being aware of what's going on. And so it's such a bubble, you know. So speaking out on everything, um, I, I don't I don't regret anything. Um, and I don't think that my me losing followers or getting hate is really even something to acknowledge because that's not that bad next to a black female country artist who's getting death threats because she put out a song about being black and her experience, you know? So like I look at it like, okay, whatever. I get annoyed by these people mm -hmm. and it, it, yeah, seeing the numbers go down is, is kind of hard, but at the same time, um, it's not really, it's not my struggle, you know? So I, uh, it's not even a question to like to be a co-conspirator and try to be the best ally I can. And I've had my foot in my mouth a few times um, where I was really loud, really fast and said the wrong thing. And so I'm still learning. But um, yeah, I think we've still got a lot of work to do. And I'm just I feel like I'm I'm on the right side of it all. But 
it can be a little bit discouraging when we keep going backwards, honestly. Absolutely. I think that's a really powerful thing to talk about, you know, how, yes, you're getting hate and it, it sucks, but it, it it is nothing compared to someone like, I'm assuming you're talking about the amazing Mickey Guyton. Um, yeah. Just like that's just beyond unacceptable that anyone should have to be receiving those kinds of things in their inbox. But, um, and it's a beautiful thing that you've found that camaraderie with the other women in this town. I always see you guys like tweeting at each other and like got, you've got each other's backs and, um, we can only hope that, you know, moving forward that continues in this industry, that change keeps being made. And, um, it's people like you, you know, using your voice where that's going to happen. So, Props to you. (laughs) Thanks. Um, I hope so. So you recently released your new album, Thrive, and it's so good. It's honestly some of my favorite work that you've done. Um, I think it's so powerful that you're bringing the pop punk roots back in and blending it with the country. So it, it it feels like your like essence. Like I would love to hear what it was like to kind of like just be like, this is me. I don't care, you know, what's the norm in this industry or whatever. Like, I'm going to put out something that is just like truly myself. Yeah, it felt awesome. And honestly, the whole process was really um, new and different for me because I'm usually second guessing myself every turn. And uh, it really, it started with the pandemic happening and, um, I was actually gearing up to get in the studio to do like three or four songs I had already written. And, um, and the pandemic is what delayed that, but also made me sit and think, okay, are these songs even that special? Am I just like feeding into the machine of it all? And am I, you know, trying to, am I chasing country radio without realizing it? And, um, I was, um, with the more, you know, sitting down and reflecting, I did, the more I realized that was the case. Um, and I had just done a Hey Monday reunion show at the end of 2019 here in Nashville. And my team saw that side of me and they were like, that's really like awesome. And I don't know if there's anything that you can pull from that into your adulthood, but we think there's something there. And so that kind of stuck with me. And so when I just kind of sat and thought about what I could do next that would be authentic and different and set me apart, I was like, I think I could just do a pop punk country album. And I don't even know what that sounds like or what that means, but I'm going to tell my publisher and I'm going to have her put together these sessions with people that would help me achieve that and see what happens. And the first session I did was on Zoom. All of these were on Zoom which was another thing that was scary, but ended up being amazing. My first Zoom session was with Lindsay Rhymes and Jake Rose, and we wrote What the Stars See, which was my first single off the record. Um, And I got that demo back, and I was like, okay, I think this is the song that's going to sort of be the example of what I should do. And uh, eventually I ended up writing with Nick Wheeler, who – Um, is from All American Rejects. He and I toured together back in 20 or 07, 08 maybe um, in in New Zealand and Australia with Fall Out Boy. And uh, I was like, I wrote with him and I got his demo back and I was like, dang, this sounds like what I want the album to sound like. And eventually I just asked him if he would produce the record and he said yes. Um, And then 
I've always looked up to Karen Fairchild from Little Big Town as like sort of a mentor. She's always been down to like grab coffee and lunch and all the different stages of my career for me to be able to pick her brain about things. So I thought of her as like a co-producer on the project as just like somebody who would sort of understand that I also have the country element and that's something that I just have and it's not going to change no matter I mean I could pretend that it's not there but I grew up with it that's my sensibility songwriting wise and I do have that element in my vocal abilities so I wanted somebody involved who knew that side of me too so she said yes and the three of us just got together uh, in 2020 and um, basically the first few months of 2021 to do the record together and um we didn't all three of us write every song on it but we you know recorded it all together and it was really fun like it was just easy um you know throwing out references like Shania Twain and then next minute throwing out Third Eye Blind references and just not really thinking of like the confines of genres and not thinking about like who would I be able to tour with, just like really creating a sound that felt like me. And I will be honest, the number one artist for me on Spotify was myself. Yes, (laughs) we love to hear it. (laughs) I listen to my records so much because I love it so much. And I think that's like when you know you've you've succeeded. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's been really cool to see fans understand what I'm doing and be like, okay, we've followed you for a long time. This is the most you you've ever sounded. And that's that's the goal. And, uh, and then people connecting with some of the songs and some of the lyrics. Although people think a lot of the songs are about uh, someone they're not about, but that's a whole other thing. Um, (laughs) I have more than one X. Okay. Uh, but it, it really has been amazing and really like validating that people get what I'm doing. And you've coined your own term for the style of music. (laughs) The alternative. The alternative. (laughs) That is amazing. But fans came up with that. I was on TikTok, which is still very foreign to me. Um, And fans started calling me alternative. And I was like, wait, is this, has this been used? And there's been a few artists that have like used it here and there as just like a flippant, like woohoo, alternative. Yeah. But I was like, I want this to be like merch and this is awesome. And, uh, you know, and like some of my favorite artists of all time, I realized is Ari Alternative, like Michelle Branch. And yes, some, oh, yeah. some, she's some my of, favorite. Right. And like even Shania is the alternative mm-hmm. to me. I think she's rock and roll and country. So, yeah, it, it kind of made it made so much sense. It was like, I have to use this in some way. It's so good. I also love how like some of your newer fans who came on into like the country chapter can now kind of go back a little bit and be like, oh, wow, there's this whole other side of Cassidy that we haven't even seen yet. You know, like that's Mm -hmm. kind of a fun way to merge like both of your lives in a sense. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, I I always see that where there's like people that knew me from Hey Monday or know me from The Voice and they discover either of like my, you know, phases and they're like, oh, I didn't know this about you. And it's so funny because I it just goes to show like I feel like I'm a, an open book on social media. I feel like I put it all out there where I've been, where where I am. But it just goes to show you like it doesn't matter how much you post. There's still people that just miss stuff and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm always like, how did you not? Know? I've posted about it so much. And then it's just like, why am I assuming they see everything I post? <laughs> like the what algorithm. algorithm. I've posted I've posted the same charcuterie wreath 
for three years now in a row. And every single time people are like, this is so cool and new. And I'm like, it's from 2019. Smart. Don't worry. You know, <laughs> like, why I don't not? have the time. <laughs> I don't have the time to do another freaking yes. reef. <laughs> no, we're, we're doing other things. Man, well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation today. Um, I, I'm just so grateful to know you and you're like just so humble and talented and amazing and just like a really awesome person overall. So thank, thank you, you for taking your time. Um, uh, where can people follow you? At Cassidy Pope on Instagram, Twitter, go like the Facebook, stream Thrive, everybody. Yes. Yes, Please. stream thrive. So good. Stream thrive. And um thank and you. So TikTok. Much. That and TikTok. Oh my god, TikTok. For some reason. We love TikTok. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love I love TikTok. <laughs> Sorry. Um yeah. but thank you guys for having me. This was awesome. I lo- I loved this conversation and it's cool to have have a conversation that's more about so many other things, not just music, but just like about the journey and mental health and all the good stuff that gets us where we are. So thank you. It was of awesome. Of course. Thank you for being an amazing guest. And um, we never know how to end these. So, so we'll just say <laughs> goodbye. See you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Diving In. This show is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is by Rob Schinelli. As always, if you liked this episode, please share us with your friends and family and give us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button to be reminded when a new episode comes out. If you have any questions for the show, our email is info at divingin.community. To stay up to date with all things Diving In, you can follow us on Instagram at DivingInPod or visit us online by going to DivingIn.Community. See you next time.